0: Would you like to know? Well, you should listen.
1: Zoom, Cron, week in review. Listen closely. Zoom,
0: Cron,
1: it's gonna help you.
0: Then think for yourself.
1: What? tell you,
0: from my perspective, in the
1: Zoom Cron, -cron. week in review, right now, here's
0: independent journalist, Travis Skink matteir Hello, and welcome to ZoomCron Week in Review. I am your host, Travis williams skink here to go through the week's posts at ZoomCron.com. So if you want to read what I am discussing, you can go to ZoomCron, that's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N, as in no-no, and as in no-no. Go there, and you can read posts like, the first one, this last week, posted on Monday, July 10th. Why isn't Headwaters Foundation doing more? than a stupid mural with their hundred million dollars. That's right. For new listeners, new readers, you might not know there's something called the Headwaters Foundation in Missoula. And if you didn't know about the Headwaters Foundation, you might not know they sit on a big pool of money and that that money was the result of the sale of Community Medical Center. And so Community Medical Center, once upon a time, used to be a public asset and then it sold to private interests and the result of that sale is supposed to help our local community. Isn't that interesting? So $100 million is a lot of money. I went uh, to city council on Wednesday to the committee, um, the budget and finance committee, to make sure that my Monday post was known and then hopefully acted upon at some point because a $100 million, that's a lot of money. So you can go to ZoomCron, check out the post. In that post, I talked about alleyways and how this mural behind the building, so the mural is actually on the Headwaters Foundation building, so it's downtown. They are on Main Street, but behind the building is an alleyway. Like, we have lots of alleyways in downtown Missoula, and Headwaters wants to make theirs prettier. Yeah, they're they're, they're involved in a beautification project. They're paying a Billings Montana muralist to come to Missoula to make their building pretty. They're spending money on that. They also want to ask the city if they could put planters in the alleyway. Um, This is an interesting alleyway actually, as several alleyways in Missoula are interesting because a lot of shit goes down in alleyways. You might not know it, unless you're checking out ZoomCron, about what is happening in alleyways. And so in this alleyway, we've got the Top Hat, owned by Nick Chakoda. There are rumors that Logjam Presents, his production business, is for sale, and so I don't know what that might mean for uh, you know, the top hat and the alleyway between the outside seating of the top hat, because once upon a time, the top hat used to do a lot of like music inside. They kind of gave that up for the most part and are just now serving expensive hamburgers and other food, and there's a, a lot of action that actually happens in this alleyway between the, the top hat and then the rhino bar. So sometimes there's transient looking type people, sometimes there's musicians, Hey, every once in a while, I might even be there with a megaphone. You never know. And so this alleyway is going to get the Headwaters $100 million treatment, and we'll see if it changes the dynamics. Other notable alleyways, we have the alleyway behind city council chambers where our current placeholder mayor, Jordan Hess, that's where he was selected. That's right. When our previous mayor, John Engen, died in office, there was a weird process of selection that was actually a stalemate for hours and then it went I was there it went long into the night so around two in the morning uh, Mike Nugent and Jordan Hess they kind of hashed it out in the alleyway it was a 45 minute recess they took that ended up being uh, I think like 90 minutes or something and then we had a new mayor by the end end of the night so interesting alleyway situation there and then of course Jermaine Charlo she was last seen alive in the alleyway um, between the Badlander and the parking garage. This is the same alleyway that the flower girl last summer went down with her quote-unquote dad and got into a vehicle in the parking garage. That was, of course, after I called 911 because, you know, something just wasn't right with that whole situation. So a lot of things that that go down here in Missoula in the alleyways. But luckily, the one, the alleyway behind the Headwaters Foundation, it's going to be prettier. There'll be a nice mural and it'll be really nice. So uh, maybe they can uh, take some of their money if they have so much money, you know, and maybe they can help develop some programs or some homeless warehouse housing. Yeah, they could, they could. Will they? I don't know if there's the political will, but I don't think there is. Moving on, the, the city council meeting on Monday evening was a barn burner over five hours Urban camping being the most controversial aspect of the Monday evening city council meeting. But there were many other parts of that meeting that ended up providing a lot of material throughout the week for me to write about. And so the first effort of writing about what was going down at city council came on the 11th, July 11th. And this title is, On being very unimpressed by the city club drug trafficking presentation plus urban camping sweeps so sad. That's right, I did a couple things on that Monday, one of them being the City Club meeting, where our police chief, Mike Collier, and then state attorney, Jesse Lazovich, well, they were up there doing their sort of pontificating how it's really bad, but they're doing some really good things. So it's always an interesting walk to see these these officials take to, to do the, hey, it's really bad, we need more resources, but also we're doing these really good things with the resources they have that's really what it boils down to. Um, I went primarily just to, to be a, a presence at city club and to listen. Um, I, I always like to take note of people that aren't in attendance. So no sheriff sighting. still don't see Jeremiah Peterson, our sheriff really showing up to any of these community conversations. And that's too bad because the sheriff is such an integral part of our community, running the jail, uh, being the corner, lots of things that happen with the, with the, the sheriff's office. So, um, I continue to be very unimpressed by things that are happening. There's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes, and I'm having a lot of interesting conversations. Not all of them I'll be able to write about publicly, but for people that are reaching out and helping me understand the quote-unquote shit show of our criminal justice system, I say thank you. I say thank you. You are courageous, and you are helping me understand what the fuck is going on here in Zoomtown. So as you're looking at the post... Uh, You got a couple uh, screenshots from the the video feed of City Council, and a lot of interesting things happened on Monday night. So many interesting things that I think I have like three posts that are touching on the action of Monday night. With all of these youngsters, of course, my public comment touched it on the fact that a lot of youngsters were going to be tugging on heartstrings, but the youngsters made some of the City Council members so frustrated and annoyed that we got an amazing acknowledgement from Gwen Jones at the true shit show of the authorized camping site. It is now openly being admitted that human trafficking was happening within the authorized camping site, which is a bit of a shock. Also, Rogers International, the private security firm that was that had the contract for providing a lot of security services at the different scattered homeless sites, It was openly acknowledged again by Gwen Jones that they were the only staffing remaining at the end. City staffing, gone. Isn't that interesting? Um, Again, I'm having a lot of interesting conversations, and I continue to really just try and wrap my head around all of the different dynamics at play because there's a lot. So going through the, the posts, I'm kind of taking a look to see if there's other elements I'd like to mention here before moving on. Um, Ultimately, the result of the city council meeting was a postponement. So all of the opponents of the the Parks and Rec ordinance, they were successful, including the executive director, Jill Bonney, who made public comments that the the people who have relocated out to the Kim Williams area are drinking from the river and having medical emergencies. I want to thank Jill for making that comment because that inspired me on Wednesday to go out to the Kim Williams area. And I don't know if I'll get into what I learned quite yet. because I am writing a post for Monday. So come Monday, there should be some interesting information about what is happening locally. We'll, we'll get more into what medical emergencies might actually mean to the people living out in the Kim Williams area. So that is something to be looking forward to. Moving on, <clears throat> um, let's see, the next post, um, I actually, that was a, a two-post day. That's right, the 11th was a, was a twofer. The second post titled "The Missoula Current's, quote reporting on Monday night's urban camping debate. I gotta get some analysis in there of our current local media, the Missoula Current being one of them. The online journal started by Martin Gomer Kidston. Gomer is a is a lovingly applied nickname for Martin. Martin has been a Montana Democrat spokesperson, and I found an, a better post to sort of exemplify that amazing aspect of Martin's career. Um, it was really exciting for me to be able to, to find that because <laughs> Martin, I don't think, has ever really given up that aspect. He's a, uh, from my perspective, a pro-development corporate horror who really likes to bash Daniel Carlino specifically every chance he gets. So um, had a lot of fun looking into that aspect of the reporting that our, our local public gets might be one of the reasons why they don't always have the best information and why the youngsters seem to get so agitated about things that are that are happening because they don't actually know what's happening. I'm trying to help I'm doing what I can okay, let's see what else in this post might be worth talking about are there any quotes? Let's see maybe we should get into some of marty's uh marty's reporting let's let's here's some of Marty's reporting here's a quote from one of his quote articles opposition opposition to the ban on overnight camping was led by council members Kristen jordan and daniel carlino quote we're spending a huge amount of money pushing people from place to place said carlino we're paying for this one way or another we should spend it providing people bathrooms and a place to stay some council members have suggested the possibility of opening one or more city parks to homeless camping but they haven't said what neighborhood that would be The downtown area has been suggested as option, including the Riverfront Triangle, where redevelopment and economic opportunity was once eyed as a priority. Quote, these are our constituents and they deserve a seat at the decision-making table, said Jordan. We need more time to consider all the moving parts of the issue. Yes, but if you are having some conversations with the people that are living in these marginalized areas, you might want to consider how people are dropping from ODs and how that is actually happening. And why we don't have more going on with criminal investigations, with law enforcement responses. Again, this is uh, getting ahead of myself a bit because Monday we'll get more into those details. But that is some of the reporting from Gomer. Thanks, Gomer. Okay. Moving on. We are going now to another post. Again, from Monday Night's Action, but not from inside City Council Chambers. The title of the post for July 12th, while the youngsters signaled their virtue inside, a woman flying a sign outside city council signaled danger. And she was right. For those of you who don't know the, the parlance that I'm using, flying a sign is uh, another way of saying panhandling. So I knew the woman who was flying a sign. She was sitting right outside of the door to the city council chambers as I exited because I couldn't quite stand any more virtue signaling from the youngsters, couldn't hear it, and decided to leave. And I'm glad I did because... I chatted with this woman and she had relocated to the sidewalk outside of city council chambers because there was a scary guy with a knife. She said this guy's name was Justice and I said, oh shit, yeah, um, he's a scary guy. And then I proceeded to write about why Justice Miller is a scary dude. Turns out later that evening, Justice was arrested, so he's back in jail where that fucker belongs. And... It's just interesting because we also have another person in jail, um, Trent Holmgren, someone I'm familiar with. Uh, I took some video footage of him shirtless, dancing provocatively in the height of a Saturday market downtown. Really uh, somewhat of, not, not physically dangerous in terms of he's going to attack you, but Trent is also, Trenton, he's also back in jail. Um, $50,000 bond because of an indecent exposure. So he was observed by persons under 16 and four years old. So in addition to a disorderly conduct ticket, so he's back in jail as well. Kind of wanted to emphasize with this post that as the virtue signaling goes on inside, literally with a comment from a woman who was 19, homeless, transient in, in New Hampshire, the description of the Shangri-La homeless situation she stumbled onto, to me, I'm glad she was safe and that she had a tent and a bed provided for her with a, with a guitar laid out on the pillow. Holy shit. Sounds amazing. Most homeless experiences not fucking like that. So I'm glad that 19 year old, um, she's I think 15 years later. So she's not 19 anymore. And in the in those years, doesn't sound like she's gotten uh, much smarter or educated about the fact that um, because of especially drugs like meth and fentanyl, there is no homeless Shangri La where people are just getting all the programs they need, and doing it up and just living the life. Um, And if there was, let me tell you, the people living in conventional housing being squeezed by the the rising property taxes and inflation and overall feeling of insecurity, well, here we are fighting each other as intended by the globalists. We can maybe sidestep that shit by not doing that, but it's easier said than done. So, excuse me, you can go into that post and actually see... Because I take video clips from the video feed, you can see Jill Bonney making her public comment. You can see the the comment about the amazing homeless Shangri-La utopia um, that the woman Tides, yeah, her name was Tides, um, she stumbled onto. So if you want to get more context from the people themselves and what they're saying, go to ZoomCron and check it out. The next post. So in addition to doing local reporting, I also like to touch on cultural trends and movies. We have a couple of those coming up later, Um, but July 13th on boys becoming men and girls becoming women. I didn't want to leave out a public comment that had nothing to do with urban camping. There was a woman that got up and basically addressed Kristen Jordan because of a comment that uh, Kristen Jordan made to her friend. So this woman's friend um, was part of wanting to advocate for the Women's Bill of Rights. So I put a link in the post to the Women's Bill of Rights One of the challenging things, and I've I've spoken with Kristen Jordan a couple times recently, Um, she's done some work on pretrial supervision, so I'm very interested in knowing more about what she knows. She's a smart woman. And the challenge, though, is Jordan's use of the word pathological in response to this woman who, according to Jordan, wants to just basically impose some partisan idea of women's rights. And it just goes to show you how really fucking insane this whole conversation now is about gender and sex because of... Well, for my personal opinion, because of social engineering, social programming, but we'll maybe get into that in the book selection, which I haven't quite figured out what it's going to be yet. Um, But the level of animosity and vitriol by the use of the word pathological. So Jordan using the word pathological uh, in response to this woman really makes me feel a bit triggered. Yeah, that's right. I'm feeling a bit triggered. um, Having been part of a, a social group that was not getting down with a certain medical intervention that was essentially mandated and coerced using some of the most insane strong-arm tactics I have ever seen in my life. Well, I said no. Um, And because of that, I was depicted as some sort of threat, almost like a terrorist of sorts, because everyone should have just gotten that medical intervention like they were told to, and anyone that said no, well, they they were dangerous. That kind of thinking persists, even if the threat has suddenly magically disappeared, <laughs> you know, pandemics come and go, I guess, but the social engineering, well, that stays. And so trying to break down some of that social engineering is going to be one of my themes that I will continue uh, going back to time and time again. So for this one, you can read the, or you can see the comment. And one of the interesting aspects of what what you are going to see in the four minutes is the fact that you have a woman, or, or women? You have a woman making public comment. You have another woman, Gwen Jones, who tries to shut that woman down um, by saying that it was violating decorum. Um, this was all because of what Kristen Jordan, a third woman, had said. And then you have a fourth woman, Sandra Vasica. Sandy comes in and she does a point of order, and that was a good point of order because that point of order was saying the comment was within the public purview allowing the public comment to continue. So Gwen Jones backed off of her anti-democratic censorship uh, inclinations, and this woman was a- able to finish her comment for the public purview so that Christian Jordan's response was put into the record. So I uh, applaud the woman for being courageous and going up to that that horseshoe. They like to call it the horseshoe. It's a half circle inquisition that you go and you you appeal to the city council members when you make public comment and you you say what you're going to say. So you can get into more at the post, of course. And one of the things I've been, I've been very invested in, and I'm probably going to do some kind of um, men's group going forward. I'm not sure how that's, what that's going to look like, but because I myself am quote unquote, a man. Uh, actually, I put myself more uh, in terms of emotional capacity at about the high school level, and <clears throat> that's because of, you know, alcohol dependency and the fact I've only had three years away from that influence. It does somewhat retard emotions. That's true. And I'm using that, that R word in the appropriate way. I hope, you, I hope you get that out there, people. Don't get too triggered. I especially don't want you to get triggered when you realize in the post I referenced Tucker Carlson's interview with Andrew Tate and kind of explain like, hey guys, if you you don't want these people defining what masculinity is for you, maybe you should grow the fuck up. I'm saying that to myself as well. And then of course I had to reference the idea of a Elon-Zuck cage fight. It's getting even worse. I don't want to put this in the post because it's a bit just ridiculous, but uh, Elon Musk has even gone so far as to suggest dick measuring as a, as a, a method of proving some sort of um, I don't know, reality out there? What, what, what is Elon and Zuck trying to do other than just maybe add more toxicity to the overall conversation about what is masculinity? What is, what is being a man all about? And then to wrap up that post, kind of get people prepared for the Friday movie post, I wanted to acknowledge that when you go woke, you do tend to go a bit broke. And so Disney is trying to prove that phrase or that maxim, uh by showing that one of their now biggest historical flops is what they have done to the Indiana Jones franchise. So they took poor old Harrison Ford and they made his little dial of destiny into potentially the biggest flop in Disney's history. So I think they needed about 900 million to break even. So far they've gotten around 250 million. That is a shit ton of lost money that Disney apparently doesn't really care about because they're going to continue doing what they're going to continue doing so so check out that post if you're interested to know more about boys becoming men and girls becoming women and then you can go on to the final post of the week and this is on ensnaring a new generation with the matrix you've got that iconic image at the beginning of the post with morpheus offering the blue pill or the red pill you get to make your binary choice and why are they doing it? Why why a Matrix 4? I've actually mentioned this a few times. I've had several people respond to me when I mentioned I would watch the Matrix. They're like, "What? There was a Matrix 4?" It was it was sort of slipped in 2021 under the radar. It came out. Uh, Keanu Reeves of course plays Neo and he's much older now because of the the time manipulation going on. The protagonist, Bugs, they bring in, of course, a bunny reference. You got to you gotta do that. You got to have the white rabbit, you know, get all psychedelic because we're questioning our reality here. Why are they then ensnaring a, gen- a new generation into questioning their reality? Well, you can watch the movie, you can read the post, and you can think for yourself because there is an interesting aspect of the divine masculine and divine feminine, I think, existing in this movie. And then the revelation of the method, which these psychopaths love to do. They love, through their movies, to tell you the things they are sort of up to in real life, you know. And Doogie Howser, (laughs) Doogie Howser is the analyst. And, of course, that's Neil Patrick Harris, the the actor. He plays the updated version of the Architects, and it is quite interesting. I've got some direct quotes from the movie, definitely worth worth reading um, if you go to the post. Should I read one now? Maybe I should. Maybe I should. If you want to hear the crux of what we're talking about, you got to go and you got to look at the analyst and you got to listen to what the analyst is saying. So here is what the analyst is is telling Neo as Neo is frozen, trying to save Trinity and Trinity can't even hear what's going on. So this is Neil Patrick Harris, Doogie Howser, saying, Alone, neither of you has any particular value. Like acids and bases, you're dangerous when mixed together. Every sim where you two bonded... Let's just say bad things happened. And he continues, However, as long as I managed to keep you close, but not too close, I discovered something incredible. Now, my predecessor loved precision. His matrix was all fussy facts and equations. He hated the human mind. So he never bothered to realize that you don't give a shit about facts. It's all fiction. The only world that matters is the one in here. He's tapping Neo's forehead. And you people believe the craziest shit. Why? What validates and makes your fictions real? Feelings. Allow me. And at this point, he manipulates this NPC-like character to shoot a bullet out of a gun, and that bullet is slowly traveling towards Trinity. And he continues, you ever wonder why you have nightmares? Why your own brain tortures you? It's actually us, maximizing your output. It works just like this. Oh no, can you stop the bullet? If only you could move faster. Here's the thing about feelings, they're so much easier to control than facts. Turns out in my matrix, the worse we treat you, the more we manipulate you, the more energy you produce. Uh huh, and it continues, it's nuts. I've been setting productivity records ever since I took over. And the best part, zero resistance. People stay in their pods happier than pigs and shit. The key to it all you and her quietly yearning for what you don't have while dreading losing what you do. For 99.9% of your race, that is the definition of reality. Desire and fear, baby. Just give the people what they want. That's a lot of revealing the method. And so if you got the ears to hear you should probably do so because that is that is quite a that is quite an admission. It also got me thinking about Donnie Darko and the binary of fear and love that Donnie Darko resists reacts negatively to. A lot of interesting curious things and it's getting me psyched up for Christopher Nolan's release of Oppenheimer. So that's coming out July 21st. I do want to mention I'm going to have an open house at my studio and would like to get an RSVP. First, if people are interested in in coming by, it's going to be 5.30 to 8.30 on Friday, July 21st. And so you can contact me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. If you want to get the specific location and come by and see the studio where some of the magic of ZoomCron occurs. Okay, so that about wraps it up for the week. Um, This is being recorded on the morning of Friday, July 14th. I got to get to work here in a couple hours, so I am starting a kitchen job. It's nice to get back into the work routine of work that actually pays direct money on a consistent basis. That's not to say I do not appreciate all the donations because holy cow, I do. I appreciate all of the the donations. I actually just got a, a check in the mail the other day and it was so nice to be communicating with people that that are letting me know how much they appreciate what they are reading, what they are learning from following ZoomCron. And I don't anticipate any disruption to the posting frequency. So you can still check out new articles Monday through Friday. I generally post new articles at 7 a.m., Monday through Friday. And then Sunday, you can listen to my voice. 8 a.m. is generally when um, the Sunday post goes out. And so that will have all of the links to the previous week's posts, It will have me talking, reviewing those posts, and then reading an excerpt from one of my many books here in the Brick and Book Media Nook, something I want to get going here. At some point, I just am lacking the time and resources, but um, I'm going to get through summer by working in a kitchen and continuing to write and pay attention to what's happening and then reassess where things are at come fall. Got a bunch of ideas, bunch of plans, a lot of hopes and dreams. We're going to see what actually happens, but... Thank you, everyone, for giving me the support. It's been a, a certain, certainly challenging time in, in many ways, but I continue to, to try and look for what actually makes, makes things more understandable. Um, what is actually happening it is very, very confusing at times, but the things that I'm working on for Monday especially, there's very important stuff happening, and if I have disagreements on an ideological basis... I can certainly put those those differences aside when you have acute risks that your community is facing. So I'm going to be getting into the nature of that acute risk on Monday, so stay tuned to zoomcron.com for that information. And if you want to reach out, again, willskink at yahoo.com is my email. Thanks for tuning in. You're going to be listening to some kind of excerpt from a book coming up next. I'm just not sure what I'll be reading from, so stay tuned. All right. The book I have selected for this week's reading is *The Alphabet Versus the Goddess: The Conflict Between Word and Image* by Leonard Schlein, and I'm just going to go ahead and start off with Chapter One, called "Image Slash Word." Of all the sacred cows allowed to roam unimpeded in our culture, few are as revered as literacy. Its benefits have been So incontestable that in the five millennia since the advent of the written word, numerous poets and writers have extolled its virtues. Few pause to consider its costs. Sophocles once warned, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. The invention of writing was vast. This book will investigate the curse. There exists ample evidence that any society acquiring the written word experiences explosive changes. For the most part, these changes can be characterized as progress. But one pernicious effect of literacy has gone largely unnoticed. Writing subliminally fosters a patriarchal outlook. Writing of any kind, but especially its alphabetic form, diminishes feminine values and, with them, women's power in the culture. The reasons for this shift will be elaborated in the coming pages. For now, I propose that a holistic, simultaneous, synthetic, and concrete view of the world are the essential characteristics of a feminine outlook. Linear, sequential, reductionist, and abstract thinking defines the masculine. Although these represent opposite perceptual modes, every individual is generously endowed with all the features of both. They coexist as two closely overlapping bell-shaped curves with no feature superior to its reciprocal. These complementary methods of comprehending reality resemble the ancient Taoist circle symbol of integration and symmetry in which the tension between the energy of the feminine yin and the masculine yang is exactly balanced. One side without the other is incomplete. Together, they form a unified whole that is stronger than either half. First writing and then the alphabet upset this balance. Affected cultures, especially in the West, acquired a strong yang thrust. In the 1960s, Marshall McLuhan proposed that a civilization's principal means of communication molds it more than the content of that communication. McLuhan classified speech, pictographs, ideographs, alphabets, print, radio, film, and television as distinctive information conveying media, each with its own technology of transmission. He declared that these technologies insinuate themselves into the collective psyche of any society that uses them, and once embedded, stealthily exert a powerful influence on cultural perceptions. McLuhan's a- aphor- aphorism, the medium is the message, is the le motif of this book. Robert Logan, the author of The Alph- Alphabet Effect, expounded on this idea Quote, A medium of communication is not merely a passive conduit for the transmission of information, but rather an active force in creating new social patterns and new perceptual realities. A person who is literate has a different worldview than one who receives information exclusively through oral communication. The alphabet, independent of the spoken languages it, it transcribes or the information it makes available, has its own intrinsic impacts. End quote. While McLuhan, Logan, and others have explored many of the effects that alphabetic literacy has had upon Western history, I wish to narrow the focus to a single question— How did the invention of the alphabet affect the balance of power between men and women? The proposition that the alphabet has hindered women's aspirations and accomplishments seems at first glance to be antithetical to historical facts. Western society, based on the rule of law and constitutional government, has increasingly affirmed the dignity of the individual. And in the last few centuries, Western women have won rights and privileges not available in many other cultures. Most people believe that the benefits that have accrued to women are due primarily to a high level of education among the populace, but a study of the origins of writing in less complex times thousands of years ago reveals how writing, first and then the alphabet, altered the balance of power to women's detriment. Anthropological studies of non-literate agricultural societies show that for the majority, relations between men and women have been more egalitarian than in more developed societies. Researchers have never proven beyond dispute that there were ever societies in which women had power and influence greater than or even equal to that of men. Yet a diverse variety of preliterate agrarian cultures, the Iroquois and the Hopi in North America, the inhabitants of Polynesia, the African Kung, and numerous others around the world, had and continued to have considerable harmony between the sexes. Anthropologist Claude-Levi-Strauss was one of the very few scholars to challenge literacy's worth. Quote, There is one fact that can be established. The only phenomenon which always in, and in all parts of the world seems to be linked with the appearance of writing is the establishment of hierarchical societies consisting of masters and slaves, and where one part of the population is made to work for the other part. End quote. <coughs> Literacy has promoted the subjugation of women by men throughout all but the very recent history of the West. Misogyny and patriarchy rise and fall with the fortunes of the alphabetic written word. The key to my thesis lies in the unique way the human nervous system developed, which in turn allowed alphabets to profoundly affect gender relations. The introductory chapters will explore why and how we evolved in the manner we did. In later chapters, I will reinterpret a number of myths and historical events, making correlations based on circumstantial evidence. Correlation, however, does not prove causality. The disappearance of the stars at dawn does not cause the sun to rise. As we examine various sets of facts, I will appeal, therefore, to the court of what archaeologists call competitive plausibility, and I will ask the reader to consider with me which of the hypothetical explanations of historical events is the most plausible. Although each of us is born with a unique set of genetic instructions, we enter the world as a work in progress and await the deft hand of the ambient culture to sculpt the finishing touches. Among the two most important influences on a child are the emotional constellation of his or her immediate family (coughs) and the configuration of his or her culture. Trailing a close third is the principal medium with which the child learns to perceive and integrate his or her culture's information. This medium will play a role in determining which neuronal pathways Of the child's developing brain will be reinforced. To observe an enthralled four-year-old mastering the letters of the alphabet is to witness the beginning of lifelong method central to the acquisition of knowledge. Literacy, once firmly rooted, will eclipse and supplant speech as the principal source of culture-changing information. Adults, for so long enmeshed in the alphabet's visual skin, cannot easily disentangle themselves to assess its effect on culture. One could safely assume that fish have not yet discovered water. Imagine that you came of age in a non-literate culture and were unaware of the impacts the written word could have on your life. Suppose that as an adult you then found yourself in a literate society confronted by others who seemed to possess magical powers. Your reaction probably would not differ much from the Prince Modupe, a young West African who in his autobiography related his encounter with the written word. Quote, The one crowded space in Father Perry's house was his bookshelves. I gradually came to understand that the marks on the pages were trapped words. Anyone could learn to decipher the symbols and turn the trapped words loose again into speech. The ink of the print trapped the thoughts. They could no more get away than a doombu could get out of a pit. When the full realization of what this meant flooded over me, I experienced the same thrill and amazement as when I had my first glimpse of the bright lights of Kanakari. I shivered with the intensity of my desire to learn to do this wondrous thing myself. End of interesting quote. The prince could not know that in his attempts to free the Dumbu, the pit itself would trap him in an unforeseen way. Written words and images are entirely different creatures. Each calls forth a complementary but opposite perceptual strategy. Images are primarily mental reproductions of the sensual world of vision. Nature and human artifacts Both provide the raw material from the outside that the brain replicates in the inner sanctum of consciousness. Because of their close connection to the world of appearances, images approximate reality. They are concrete. The brain simultaneously perceives all parts of the whole, integrating the parts synthetically into a gestalt. The majority of images are perceived in an all-out, all-at-once manner. Reading words is a different process. When the eye scans distinctive individual letters arranged in a certain linear sequence, a word with meaning emerges. The meaning of a sentence, such as the one you are now reading, progresses word by word. Comprehension depends on the sentence's syntax, the particular horizontal sequence in which its grammatical elements appear. The use of analysis to break each sentence down into its component words or each word down into its component letters is a prime example of reductionism. This process occurs at a speed so rapid that it is below awareness. An alphabet by definition consists of fewer than 30 meaningless symbols that do not represent the images of anything in particular. A feature that makes them abstract. Although some groupings of words can be grasped in an all-at-once manner, in the main, the comprehension of written words emerges in a -a one-at-a-time fashion. To perceive things, such as trees and buildings, through images delivered to the eye, the brain uses wholeness, simultaneity, and synthesis. To ferret out the meaning of alphabetic writing, the brain relies instead on sequence, analysis, and abstraction. Custom and language associate the former characteristics with the feminine, the latter with the masculine. As we examine the myths of different cultures, we will see that these linkages are consistent. Associating images with the feminine would seem to fly in the face of numerous scientific studies that demonstrate that males are better at mentally manipulating three-dimensional objects than their female counterparts. Also, numerous other studies reveal that young females are more facile with words spoken and written than are their male peers. Despite these studies attribu- attributing different images, different image and word skills to each sex, I will present many cultural, mythological, and historical examples that will solidify Sorry, they will solidly connect the feminine principle to images and the masculine one to written words. Again, I will use the terms masculine and feminine in their transcendent sense. Every human is a blend of these two principles. I'm going to take a quick pause. Okay, continuing. The life of the mind can be divided into three realms, inner, outer, and supernatural. The inner world of experienced emotions and private thoughts is essentially invisible to others. The outer concrete world of nature constitutes our environment. It is objective reality. There exists also a third realm. Some call it spiritual, some call it sacred, and some call it supernatural. Humans have acknowledged and incorporated this third realm into every culture ever created. The cosmology of any given culture is analogous to the psyche of an individual. Its myths and religion reveal how the group psyche arrives at its values concerning sex, power, wealth, and gender roles. In hunter-gatherer societies, members generally worship a mixture of male and female spirits. In general, virile spirits tend to be more prestigious in societies that place a high value on hunting. Nurturing ones are more highly esteemed wherever gathering is the primary strategy of survival. Humankind discovered horticulture approximately 10,000 years ago. In the Mediterranean, the most extensively studied religion, region, archaeologists have uncovered strong suggestive evidence that in all emerging agrarian civilizations surrounding the basin, a mother goddess was a principal deity. From the outer rim of history, we begin to learn her name. In Sumer, she was Inanna. In Egypt, she was Isis. In Canaan, her name was Asherah. In Syria, she was known as Astarte. In Greece, Demeter, and in Cyprus, Aphrodite. Whatever her supplicants called her, they all recognized her as the creatrix of life, nurturer of young, protector of children, and the source of milk, herds, vegetables, and grain. Since she presided over the great mystery of birth, people of this period presumed she must also hold sway over the great bedeviler of human thought, death. Prior to the development of agriculture, male, male spirits embodied the attributes of bold, courageous hunters, But in the iconography, iconography, I can't always talk well, of the great goddess, male imagery paled. Her consort was a companion who was smaller, younger, and weaker than she. A conflation of a son she loved in a motherly way and a lover she discarded after he consummated his duties of impregnation. He was so dispensable in his ancient myths that he frequently died, either by murder or by accident. In many agrarian cultures, the yearly sacrifice of a young male surrogate in the consort's honor was a common ritual. The participants then plowed the victim's seed blood into the earth as fertilizer to ensure that the following year's crop would be bountiful. The clearest demonstration of the goddess's power was her ability to bring him back to life each spring. Whether she was resurrecting her consort or regenerating the earth, her adherents stood in awe of her fecundity. For several thousand years, every people throughout the Fertile Crescent venerated a deity who personified the Great Goddess. When we speak of this area as the cradle of civilization, we tactically acknowledge the superior role the feminine principle played in the birth of modern humankind. Then the Great Goddess began to lose power. The barely legible record of the earliest written accounts beginning about 5,000 years ago provides intimations of her fall. Her consort, once weak and inconsequential, rapidly gained size, stature, and power until eventually he usurped her sovereignty. The systemic political and economic subjugation of women followed. Coincidentally, slavery became commonplace. Around 1500 BC, there were hundreds of goddess-based sects enveloping the Mediterranean basin. By the 5th century AD, they had been almost completely eradicated, by which time women were also prohibited from conducting a single major Western sacrament. In their attempts to solve the mystery of the goddess's dethronement, various authors have implicated foreign invaders, the invention of private property, the formation of archaic states, the creation of surplus wealth, and the educational disadvantaging of women. While any or all of these influences may have contributed, I propose another. The decline of the goddess began when some clever Sumerian first pressed a sharp stick into wet clay and invented writing. The relentless spread of the alphabet 2,000 years later spelled her demise. The introduction of the written word, and then the alphabet, into the social intercourse of humans initiated a fundamental change in the way newly literate cultures understood their reality. It was this dramatic change in mindset I propose that was primarily responsible for fostering patriarchy. The Old Testament was the first alphabetic written work to influence future ages, attesting to its gravitas. Multitudes still read it 3,000 years later. The words on its pages anchor three powerful religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Each is an exemplar of patriarchy. Each monotheistic religion features an imageless father deity whose authority shines through his revealed word, sanctified in its written form. Conceiving of a deity who has no concrete image prepares the way for the kind of abstract thinking that inevitably leads to law codes, dualistic philosophy, and objective science, the signature triad of Western culture. I propose that the profound impact these ancient scriptures had upon the development of the West depended as much on their being written in an alphabet as on the moral lessons they contained. Goddess worship, feminine values, and women's power depend on the ubiquity of the image. God worship, masculine values, and men's domination of women are bound to the written word. Word and image, like masculine and feminine, are complementary opposites. Whenever a culture elevates the written word at the expense of the image, patriarchy dominates. When the importance of the image supersedes the written word, feminine values and egalitarianism flourish. In this book, we will explore what this has meant throughout the human past, and in later chapters, we'll consider what it says about the present and portends for the future. And that concludes chapter one of The Alphabet versus the Goddess, The Conflict Between Word and Image. Definitely an interesting book. I've read the whole thing. It was a while ago, Um, but a book worth reading and worth considering, especially with this past week of um, gender conversations happening at City Council, and then my own uh, interpretation of what The Matrix Resurrections is trying to tell us about that feminine-masculine energy balance. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that reading of chapter one of The Alphabet Versus the Goddess by Leonard Schlain. Uh Tune in next week. I will continue reviewing the week's headlines, the local headlines, here in Missoula, Montana. Known as Zoomtown. Thanks for tuning in. This is Zoomcron Weekend Review. I've been your host, Travis Williams skink Mater. Here's a song for the sexes.
1: Guys and gals, it's selfie time. I have a word, I have a rhyme. I do not speak them from an E, for I am the patriarchy. Yeah, it's cool, yeah, it's grand, and written by my very hand, like the held the knife and cut my skin, so my cries before the word screamed out pain. Now sentence structure has gone insane. Yin and yang just fight and fight, can't integrate their day and night. So what's the trick to fix this break? First damn the river, then drain the lake. The sacrifice is fighting back, denying them their bloody snack. Guys and gals put down the phones. The drama of our broken homes is rippled wide and patterned bad. No grace for mom, more respect for dad I walk outside on dusty roads, the prankster woods has neon strobes and heavy beats with synthetic drugs, turn on the car, you've had enough dirt returns to asphalt path you spy the clock, you do the math even though the beds joke, the motions go the glass and smoke, yeah it's cool we die alone if you fear the great unknown instead of jump from trampoline ask Donnie Darko just what I mean Yeah, good ask Donnie Darko Oh, guys and gals, it's selfie time I have a word, I have a rhyme I do not speak them from a knee For I am the patriarchy Yeah, it's cool, yeah, it's grand And written by my very hand Like the one that held the knife skin so my cries for the word screamed out pain now sentence structure has gone insane yin and yang just fight and fight can't integrate their day and night so what's the trick to fix this break first damn the river then drain the lake the sacrifice is fighting back denying them their bloody snack guys and gals put down the phones the trauma of our broken homes is ripped and pattern bad, no grace for mom or respect for dad. I walk outside on dusty roads, the prankster woods have neon strobes and heavy beats. With synthetic drugs turn on the car, you've had enough. Now it's time to get ready for work. Even though it's a Saturday, that's a busy, busy day in the kitchen. When you're taking food out to the beautiful woods, For the nice, nice people who want to celebrate things, yeah, like marriages, and things like that. But I wear on my head so many hats. It's time to wrap up this one. Thanks for listening. I like the sun, too,
0: even though it's going to be hot today. Yeah, stay tuned. Four more.